Now today is Pentecost Sunday, and so providentially, as I said, this passage is about the work of the Holy Spirit. Though the Spirit is not mentioned specifically by name, it does say that it is God who works in you, and this God that works in you is the Holy Spirit. This passage is about change. This passage is about growth as Christians. I think this is a very significant passage, and yet one that is commonly misinterpreted and misquoted. I think many Christians are confused about these two verses. In fact, you probably heard it quoted, and I wonder in what context you heard it quoted, or maybe have quoted it yourself. So let's try to work through that. I'm going to try to do the best that I can to clear up confusion and give us a clear understanding of what this passage is about so that we can actually grow as Christians and change. That's my purpose today. So I would like to ask three questions, which would be your outline for this morning. Three questions to this text. Number one, what is the work? What is the work? The apostle talking about working out our salvation and God working in us to will and to work. So what is the work? Two, the second question would be, who does the work? Who does this work? Who works here exactly? Is it me? Is it God? Is it some combination of the two? A lot of confusion in that area. And finally, our third question, and I'll only address it very briefly. So if you see me linger on the first two points, don't worry. The third point is going to be two minutes. Will this work get done is the third question. Will this work get done? So what is the work? Who does this work? And will this work get done? Okay, so what is the work? Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's talking about progressive transformation. The literal meaning of work out is to bring about, to produce, to effect, to accomplish salvation. However, this is clearly not a call to save ourselves by our works. Look at the context. Therefore, is the first word in our passage. Therefore, connects these verses, this call to work out our salvation, to the previous section which describes what Jesus did. His humiliation, his suffering, his death, his obedience, his victory, his authority, his exaltation. Because of all that Jesus did, because of all that he accomplished on our behalf, this great salvation that he accomplished for us, therefore, because of that, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, sanctification, which is the term for this change, this growth, this working out of salvation, this progressive change of the Christian, sanctification is the working out of what Jesus has done on the cross and in the empty tomb. Sanctification is the working out in the process of change and transformation, but it is working out of what Jesus already did. I love how Charles Spurgeon, the 1800s English preacher, put it. He said, what is to be worked out must first be worked in. What is to be worked out must first be worked in. An unconverted man can work nothing out, for there is nothing in. You have faith, work it out then. Act like a believer, trust God in daily life, be Christ-like inasmuch as the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. 
So this passage, strictly speaking, only applies to the converted. You can't work out what has not been worked in by God already. Have you met Jesus? Has the Spirit opened your heart to believe in Jesus, to see him as your Savior, to see him as your King? That's the point when change begins. It's that encounter with Jesus where the Holy Spirit transforms you for the first time, giving you a new desire, new nature, and we'll talk about that in a second. And now you're beginning to change. So what he did in you at conversion now is being worked out in your life. This is the point when change begins, and if that point hasn't happened with you, if you haven't come to Jesus, you can be changed by Jesus. If you've not been converted, if you've not been born again, as Jesus said, Jesus described it this way, being born again, you cannot experience lasting change. Have you been converted? If you have been converted, your conversion is only the beginning of what Christ wants to do with you. You know, some churches and some Christians mistakenly think that conversion is the goal, but it isn't. While conversion is absolutely necessary, it's absolutely essential, it is the beginning of the transformation. You know, no parent who welcomes the new baby into their family sits back, relaxes, and says, well, this, this was great, we're done. We all know this is the beginning. We have the child, now we've got to raise the child. There's going to be lots of change. And this child is not going to be who they are now. They're going to change. They're going to be different. Augustine, I'll be quoting a lot from Augustine today. Augustine was a North African uh, pastor, theologian in the 4th century. He likened conversion to the acquisition of a compass as we set off on our voyage. Now we have the direction. Now we're able to move forward. That happens at conversion, but it begins the change. And now we're being transformed. At conversion, God graciously reconciles us to himself. He forgives us. He justifies us. He adopts us into his family. All of that happens at conversion, and it is done. It's been settled. And that is how begins the process of transformation into the kind of people that God envisions us to be in eternity. And this process will not be completed until Jesus returns, until we meet him face to face, and all of creation is completely and fully transformed. That is what we call glorification. We come to glory. But for now, we are engaged in the work of sanctification or becoming practically different, practically holy like Jesus. Alistair Begg, a contemporary preacher, used this example of putting together a gift on Christmas morning. You receive a gift, especially if you're a kid in a lot of excitement, you receive a gift that now needs to be put together. Now, all the pieces are in the box, the instructions are in the box, but now you've got to put it together. You've got to figure out how all these pieces fit together, how this whole thing is going to work, how everything is supposed to be together in the right way to produce the right result. This is what is meant when Paul says we are to work out our salvation. It's been given to us, now we work it out. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3, 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that we need has been given to us by grace, right? That's conversion. God gives everything to us by divine power. He himself grants to us all things that are necessary for life and godliness. But then in verse 5 of the same passage, Peter says, for this very reason, because you've been given it, make every effort. You see, you've been given salvation, now make every effort to work it out. And then in verse 10 of the same passage, he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Our election doesn't depend on us. Our calling doesn't depend on us. But since we've been called, since we've been chosen, we've been given everything that we need. Now work it out. Put it together. Put the pieces together. See how it works. This word translated work out in our passage was used by a secular writer to describe the working of a silver mine with the goal of extracting all the precious ore. So to paraphrase, if we use that analogy, our text commands us to mine out all the richness of salvation that Christ has already given us. The ore is in the mine already. It's all there. It's been loaded up by God. Now what is the call on us? to work it out, to mine it out, to extract it and refine it, what's already yours. Now let me give you some examples of what God has already worked in so that we can work it out. I'll go quick through these. I'll give you scriptures. You look up those scriptures later. I want you just to listen to me about the riches that God has already given us and how we are to work them out, how we to extract them and refine them as out of the mine so they, they become effective in our lives. In James 1, 21, we are told that God has implanted his word in us. He's implanted his holy word in us. Now how should it be worked out? By reading, studying, meditating on the Bible and his word. Work out your salvation by regularly engaging with scripture. Jeremiah 31, 33 tells us that God put his law within us, that he wrote his law on our hearts. How should we respond? By obeying the commandments. Work out your salvation by living faithfully according to God's design. You see, it's worked in. Now we work it out. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says that not only God's law is written on our hearts, but that we have received a new heart altogether. Our heart of stone has been replaced by the heart of flesh. What does that mean? It means that now we've been given the supernatural ability to want what God wants, to feel what God feels. We've been made alive. We were dead, dead heart, stone heart. Now it's alive. We're alive. It's a live heart. And thus we're able to resist sin and choose good. We couldn't do that before, but now with a new heart, we have a chance. So, work out your salvation by fighting temptation, by not giving in to sin, by living righteously because of the ability that God gave you. Colossians 2.14 says that Christ has canceled the record of debt, our debt to God, by nailing it to the cross. 
we are forgiven. So work out your salvation by living in freedom, in freedom from condemnation and guilt. You see, God did it. Christ nailed our record of debt to the cross, and it's been canceled, and now you live it out. Work it out. Live in freedom. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, a new creature. The old has passed away. The new has come. That happened. That's been worked in. Walk then in the newness of life. Don't go back to your old habits and patterns. This is how you work out your salvation. You walk in the newness of life. You're not the same anymore. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says that God gave us the gift of faith. That it's not of us, of our doing, of our works, that we should boast that we have faith. It's been given to us. So work out your salvation by walking by faith and not by sight. Live trusting God and not the world. 1 Peter 1, 3 says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection happened. We've been born again to a living hope. That happened. God worked it already. But now we work it out by living in hope and not in despair and not in fear. Live in anticipation of all that God is yet to do, of all God's promises coming true. Romans 5, verse 5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So work out your salvation by loving because God first loved us. So love God. Love others. Love your neighbor. That is how you work out what's been worked in by the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift. God gave us himself. Jesus prayed in John 14, 16, and 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor, nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. God the Holy Spirit is with us and is in us now. This is why Pentecost is so important to observe, to remember, to celebrate that the Holy Spirit has come, that the promise that Jesus made has been fulfilled. He lives in us by grace. So work out your salvation by walking in step with the Spirit, by not resisting Him, not grieving Him, not quenching Him, but by walking in step with the Spirit of God. This is the work. We're called to work out our salvation, salvation that has been given to us by grace, based on Christ's accomplishments, not our own, and now we mine out its riches. We work out the implications. We change to become the people God has saved us to be. You see, God, God's goal go, goes well beyond our conversion. This is the beginning of what he's doing with us. And so having been converted, having been saved, experiencing that salvation, experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit, now we work it out. And this work of sanctification is very, very serious. Not optional. 
It's not separate from what God did with you at conversion. It is to be done with fear and trembling, Paul says. Work out your salvation, your own salvation, with fear and trembling. This phrase is used in the Old Testament of what the nations experienced when they encountered the God of Israel coming into the promised land with his people. The nations feared and trembled because they realized that this God is not to be taken lightly. He's not to be trifled with. And so there was fear or dread or trembling or terror. Those are all the words that are used in Scripture. So we must approach this work of sanctification with fear and trembling. This attitude produces both gravity, but also hope. Now listen to what one commentator says. He says, one does not live out the gospel casually or lightly, but as one who knows what it means to stand in awe of the living God. On the other hand, nothing of failure or, or lack of confidence is implied. The gospel is God's thing. And the God who has saved his people is an awesome God. Thus, working out the salvation that God has given them should be done with a sense of holy awe and wonder before the God with whom they and we have to do. So my encouragement to all of us, if you've been converted, work out your salvation. Mind the riches. Make connections. Work out the implications of the gospel in your life with fear and trembling, seriously, with awe and trembling. Now, that's the work. Who does the work? Who does it? If we only read, work out your, salvation, your own salvation with fear and trembling and stop there, which is how it's often quoted, this verse. You've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Meaning, stay saved. Become saved, because if you don't do it, you're going to lose it. If we only had that one phrase in the passage, we might conclude rightly that we are responsible for our own growth. Some people say, God, open the door. You've got to walk through it. Is that what this passage is saying? I heard some Christians say that if they don't confess their sins tonight, if they don't work out their salvation today, and Jesus returns, they would be lost. Because they are responsible to keep their salvation, to be with Christ, to live a life that's pleasing to him enough that he would accept them in his eternal kingdom. Now that conclusion may be correct if we only had that one phrase. But we have more. So the next portion of the verse says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work. The desire and the power are both from him, it says. And if we only had that phrase without the first work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, we might conclude that it's God who does all the work. So let go and let God, as some Christians say. Let go and let God all we need to do is just surrender, is just let go. We don't need to do anything. Our will doesn't need to be engaged. 
No effort is necessary. Just be there and God will do it. This is how some Christians define sanctification. So is it God or is it me? Now please notice that we have both phrases in here. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The Bible's answer to, is it God or is it me, is yes. It's yes. The Bible says it's, it's you and it's God. Sanctification is the work we are commanded to do and we ought to take it seriously. And at the same time, God promises to do it. Who does the work of sanctification? I do, for I'm commanded to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. I can never say that this is not my responsibility. Amen. Who does the work of sanctification? God does. It is God who works in me, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I can never take credit for any progress that I have made in my life. Amen. And to be very clear, we are not talking about sharing the load here. We're not saying sanctification is 70% God, 30% me, or 50-50. We're not dividing that. We do not meet God halfway in the middle or 70% in. We don't do that. We do not split up the work. I am to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in me. Spurgeon was once asked to reconcile human responsibility and God's sovereignty. Now, this question is asked all the time, right? Many of us are wrestling. How do those fit together? And when Spurgeon was asked, I think he gave the best answer of all. He was asked, how do you reconcile human responsibility and God's sovereignty? And he replied, how do I reconcile friends? How do I reconcile friends? There's no reconciliation necessary. They're friends. They're working together. There's no disagreement in sanctification. We don't need to set God's work against our work. The Bible teaches that it is both God that works and we that work in the process of sanctification. And that dynamic, although puzzling to us at times, I admit, is not uncommon in Scripture. It may be uncommon in the world where we want to split up responsibilities, we want to make sure that we know exactly who's responsible for what, but in Scripture, it is not that way. That mystery of two forces working equally together in such close proximity that you can't tell who's doing what often is actually common in the Bible. For example, is Jesus God or man? Man, the church historically has wrestled with that. And the reason we have wrestled with that, because we want to use these worldly categories. We want to say, well, it's either that or, or, or that. He's either God or he's man, or he's 30%, 70%, or he's 100% and 100%. How does it fit together? But Scripture simply affirms that he is fully God and fully human. One person with two natures. Another example would be the Bible. Who wrote the Bible? God or people? God and people wrote the Bible. Human authors wrote it under the inspiration and authority of the Holy Spirit. And yet, 
using their own personalities and their own experiences. So is it 70-30? No. It's both and. God wrote the Bible. People wrote the Bible. Jesus is God and Jesus is man. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. Augustine of Hippo, I told you I'm going to be quoting from Augustine more today. Augustine recorded a prayer in his famous spiritual autobiography, Confessions. As he wrestled with sexual temptation, this is what he prayed. Lord, give what you command and command what you wish. Give what you command and command what you wish. Now, a British monk named Pelagius read that book and read that prayer and became enraged because Pelagius thought that he knew how sanctification worked. It was our work. God told us to be holy, so it's our responsibility to be holy as he is holy. But Augustine understood how sanctification worked much better. From Scripture and experience, Augustine knew that God was sovereign to command whatever he wished. And that we could only obey his commands if God himself produced the change in us. I think Augustine understood Philippians 2, 12, and 13. God commands us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and yet it is God himself who gives us the desire to want to change and the power to be able to change. God commands what he wishes. He commands us to be holy. He commands us to work out our, our salvation. He commands us to be sanctified, and yet he says, I will be working in you, and I will change you. I will produce the result that I require. As John Calvin put it, God gives to his people the capacity to will aright and to carry through valiantly. He gives us the capacity to will aright, the right desire for sanctification, the right desire for change, and he allows us, he gives us the capacity to carry through valiantly, to, to give us power to do what God commands us to do. So for a biblically informed Christian, this is the prayer as we are being sanctified. Following Augustine, we pray, command what you will, grant what you command. Command what you will, grant what you command. I am praying. I am taking this work of sanctification seriously. I'm looking to my God for instructions. He is sovereign. He can demand and command me anything he wants. And yet, I am trusting that this desire in my heart is from him. And that he will supply the power necessary to accomplish the work that he himself demands of me. Let me give you a biblical example of how it works practically. When Jesus met a man who had been unable to walk for 38 years at the Bethesda pool in Jerusalem, this is in John 5, he asked him if he wanted to be healed, he talked to him a little bit, and then he said, this is what Jesus said to a man that can't walk. He said, get up, take up your bed, and walk. 
Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Jesus commands the man who can't walk to get up and walk. This is what Jesus is doing. Could the man obey Jesus in his own strength? No, of course he, he couldn't. He couldn't walk. But did he obey? Did he exercise his will? Did he make an effort? Absolutely. Who did the work? He did it by getting up, by taking up his bed, and by taking steps. But who gave him the desire to trust Jesus and the power to get up and walk? God did. And this is exactly how sanctification works. God tells us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we get up and take up our bed and we walk. But how do we do that? Only because God gives us the desire and the power to do it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's the command. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's the power. He grants us what he commands. John Piper, contemporary pastor, considers this dynamic of God's inseparable involvement in our sanctification as a great gift and encouragement. And specifically when he reads fear and trembling, he says, that doesn't put me off, that doesn't scare me. In fact, this is a gift. He says, work and will to kill your sin. And do it with fear and trembling because God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, redeemer, justifier, sustainer, father, lover, is so close to you that your working and willing are his working and willing. Tremble at this breathtaking thought. God Almighty is in you. God is the one in you willing. God is the one in you working. My continuous, sustained, strenuous effort is not only being carried out in the very presence of all holy God, but is the very continuous, sustained, strenuous effort of God himself. Piper says, I'm not waiting for a miracle. I am acting a miracle. My action is God's action in fighting my sin. My willing is God's willing. This is how it works. Is it mysterious? Sure. But then again, we're dealing with God. So we should expect that there's going to be some mystery. But does it work? Yes. This is how it works. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the command. For it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's the promise. That's the power. That's the guarantee that God will actually accomplish the work of sanctification in you. And that brings us to the last point, and very briefly. Will this work get done? Will our salvation be worked out perfectly, completely, fully? The answer is a resounding yes. A resounding yes. Because, as Piper indicated, God is intimately, inextricably involved in our sanctification. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. For His good pleasure. What God is doing with you, what He is doing with me as a believer, as His child, as the one that He redeemed, 
as a converted person, what he's doing with us, he's doing for his good pleasure. He's not begrudgingly tolerating our feeble efforts to become slightly better. He's not bored, like many of us parents, waiting for our kids to figure out a simple activity. He's not annoyed that you are struggling to trust him. He's not upset that it has taken you so long to get it. Instead, God takes pleasure in giving you the desire and the power to become perfect like Jesus. Let me repeat this. God takes pleasure. God enjoys it. God loves it. He takes pleasure in giving you the desire and the power to become perfect like Jesus. As the Father delights in the Son, so does God delight in your sanctification. I hope, as a believer, you are encouraged this morning. This whole sermon is meant to encourage us, is meant to move us to pursue change with great confidence in God's empowering. So read your Bible. Pray and serve and obey the commandments. Trust God for your next step. Grow in faith and hope and in love. Pursue holiness with your whole heart, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'll finish with this quote from Augustine. Somebody's been reading Augustine, so let me read this quote from Augustine to you again. This is a great quote to describe that reality that he felt, that he experienced, that many of us Christians understand exactly how it works experientially, how we and God are accomplishing our sanctification. Listen to Augustine. It says, Oh, the twisted roads I walked. Woe to my outrageous soul that hoped for something better if it withdrew from you. The soul rolls back and forth onto its back, onto one side and then another, onto its stomach, but every surface is hard, and you're the only rest. He's praying. But look, you're here, freeing us from our unhappy wandering, setting us firmly on your track, comforting us and saying, run the race, I'll carry you. I'll carry you clear to the end. And even at the end, I will carry you. 